0: How do we start?
1: Okay, I'm going to start the timer, so I know how long we're going for. Mm. Uh, we start by saying. So, are you happy with the title with the Kate Kate and Vince Gelsa podcast?
0: Sure, ladies before <laughs> before gents.
1: It's it's alphabetical mm-hmm. order.
0: Oh yeah, it is alphabetical. Yeah. That's true. Why do why are they called podcasts? Do you know? uh because I really I I get I'm very turned off by the, the whole podcast because to me like a pod is a thing that a pea comes in pea pod you know, pea pods or or a pod goes back to um like invasion of the bodies yeah it's sci- it's you know, a little the, sci-fi yeah that, like
1: uh I feel like the Matrix, they're like in pods
0: yeah and and they and they when they break out they're not they're, it's not like a happy, you know, go lucky. <laughs> <laughs> when they break out of the pod, they're usually bad guys, you know? It's like.
1: Is it short for something? Podcasts.
0: Pod. I don't know. Oh, well. I mean, I mean, I guess it has something to do with iP- iPods. Oh, yeah. But what is. The, oh, yeah. But still, the pod means. Why is an
1: iPod. A pod. Yeah, we could Google this, but we're yeah. not going to.
0: Yeah. I
1: iPod. Get- I feel like iPod is one of those things that. Is intentionally associating itself with kind of science fiction uh, vocabulary, you don't think? you? Yeah, I just think that there was there was a period of time like I, iPod, like it's your little pod you mm. carry with you, your yeah. little machine it's friend. It's
0: got all this magical stuff in it. Yeah, yeah.
1: and yeah. I I felt that way when everything was e whatever e book. E,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Or yeah.
1: i whatever. That to me seems um to be an attempt to uh, to make things sound futuristic mm. there's a lot of things that that I I feel like w- especially in the past decade got got pushed into like it's the future <laughs> things should be
0: now and <laughs> now, now now is the future now
1: yeah. and so like let's have, we don't have hover cars and we don't have um but let's call things like ebooks
0: yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. iPod.
0: Okay. All right. That makes it a loop. Little...
1: So then podcast. It's like broadcast for your iPod.
0: Mm-hmm. Podcast. All right.
1: Podcast.
0: All right. So we're not necessarily going to, like, m- morph into um, genetic beasts or anything, are we? You, <laughs> you and, you and <laughs> we I? could. Any more so than we've already done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: we sure yeah. Are you recording? Let's, yeah, yeah. I'm just going to check on you because yeah. this is...
0: Yeah. You haven't
1: so, done radio in months.
0: It's recording. It's okay. it's it's doing its thing. Yeah. You're yeah. the expert. Months. I've been retired for. <laughs> How's uh, it going? Yeah. How well, you doing? I'm okay. You know. I just did, I I wasn't sure which faders to bring up here because you see how messy this studio is. This is Studio V where we're doing our podcast from. Our podcast. And, and my radio and my my satellite listeners know it from you know all those years i did radio out of here yeah and uh i have rarely come in here in the past couple of months i have all that stuff like behind you needs to get filed away or put down in the basement and i just i've let because to me like coming in here is work
1: and if I had left you to your own devices, you could have just left it uh, yeah. as as it was the day of your last show. We could have turned it into a museum. It would be like houses, like a writer's yeah, house, you're, and you're it's right. like yeah. the tea, his last cup of tea, <laughs> yes. is still on the table.
0: <laughs> that's great. Yeah. It would be like this
1: half-finished water yeah, but, bottle.
0: I, I would be that's careful touching imploding
1: that. Imploding on it into itself. It's still there. He drank from this, <laughs> as soon as he spoke his final words on the radio, yeah, 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 and I've ruined, I'm ruining your plans. Yeah, what? I'm, but seriously, if I was you, gonna have
0: like bring a whole bunch of cats in here, like Hemingway's cats, <laughs> yeah. you know, down in uh, Key, oh, you Key could West, let Jackie, come in here, oh no, Jackie, no, no, so anyhow, I all ruined all your
1: right. plans. You, you wanted to leave this as a weird mausoleum, yeah, to your life, yeah, in radio. And I'm making you activate the system.
0: Well, no, you know you're not making me. No, no. You are. You're, I'm you're making you. me. You know that uh, otherwise I would just lay here like a slug on the couch <laughs> where you found me. <laughs> Here's what
1: would, Dad would, Dad's <laughs> idea of retirement is: getting on the couch, turning on the History Channel, and uh, dying.
0: Yeah, basically. And
1: like I would give you maybe two years. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Two years Mom would bring that, huh? you
1: food. I mean, the the couch is pretty close to the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. And then that would be it. It would be done. To we'll me, put that's you off on the Viking ship, mm-hmm. and
0: that's what retirement is, I right? I mean, I don't <laughs> I think. Know. I mean, some people are like you're supposed to do stuff. I the know. word is retire. Retirement, know. you know, it's like.
1: But this isn't. This isn't real. This is just a podcast. Yeah it's not right. it's barely even exists and
0: it's going to keep uh keep 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 me uh, oiled so to speak yeah all right <laughs> and it, this is our very first one
1: this is our this is the first episode of the Kate and Vince Gelsa podcast we could have gotten more creative with the name but i think we should just keep it simple yeah cuz that um leaves it open to all all topics It's just us.
0: We could, we could, um, there seems to be a thing with podcasts where you name, you give a name to the episode.
1: Oh, yeah, we can name the episode. So we can
0: name the episode. That'll come Mm -hmm. later. And
1: we're going to want a theme song eventually. We're going to have to, I think, we'll commission. We'll (laughs) come, yeah, play. Just kind of, yeah, just riff right now. See what you. Oh. Oh, my God. (laughs) people are gonna the majority of people are gonna listen to this with headphones on and that's gonna be the most annoying sound
0: that's right because they're they're listening on their pod they're on their pod They're on their pod on the subway or yeah that's where
1: my people list but people yeah people can listen in the car Mm -hmm. people can listen at home if they miss you on on Saturday nights, they can listen then yeah. from their computers. Yeah.
0: Well, your people, your people and my people though are getting closer together. Yeah. Have you noticed as you as you uh, as you age? <laughs> <laughs> but we'll, we'll talk about you in our next episode.
1: Yeah, we're going to start with you in this one. I'm going to interview you. Okay. Uh, because I assume that most of the people who will start out listening to this are people who have heard of you. But um, maybe they don't know your whole story or maybe there's, you know, uh, f- people of mine who don't know as much about you. So we're going to start with you. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm. So. So you're going to interview me. I'm going to interview you. Oh, this will be cool. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm ready. Okay. I'm, re- I'm ready. You have questions? Okay, gonna, you, have, uh, you have notes?
1: Well, we're going to. I'm going to. This interview is going to focus on, on history. All right. Because we're going to set up your history. Okay. And so I want to talk about your, now my understanding of your origins in radio is that you were stalking my mother.
0: <laughs> yeah, And it was. you followed
1: yeah. her to college. Mm-hmm. And she, she wanted her independence from you. You guys met when you were seventeen.
0: We were seniors in different high schools.
1: Yeah, and you met on a blind you met on a sort setup. Sort of a, a, set up, of a yeah. setup. It
0: was not really a blind date, but it was like a setup to get me off this other girl who was her cousin because <laughs> right. uh, she was interested in some other guy. Right. So she was trying to follow. She me was off. getting rid of you. Yeah. yeah.
1: And mom went to Uppsala College in
0: East Orange. In East
1: Orange, New Jersey. Right.
0: Which is no longer uh in because it it um, it it went bankrupt at some point when it original when it was originally there in East Orange. This was back in the I guess the early part of the 20th century. East Orange was very much a um, a suburban suburb of Newark, mm-hmm. and it was a very upper class. You know, beautiful apartments, and and um, you know, it, it it was a very wealthy community, as a matter of fact. So it made sense to have a college there, and right. the, the college was actually a Lutheran organization. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a the, it was that you know put up by that religion. Um, so there were like a lot of Midwesterners there, a lot of. A lot of people from Sweden and Denmark and, you know, the Scandinavian blonde, blue-eyed, you know. <laughs> some of them were a little scary, yeah. but, you know.
1: And it was still Lutheran it, when it was when you guys were there. Yeah, yeah. but It, it was had a that lib- presence.
0: It was a liberal arts school, though. It, it, you know, there wasn't much of the... Religion. There was no religion at okay. all. It was just, yeah. And they had a radio station.
1: Right. And so what... So mom went to Uppsala. Yeah. And you what? You just didn't enroll in college. No. Oh,
0: but I was, but I forgot. <laughs> See, people who don't know me, you'll you don't know the fact that uh, I get lost in tangents, and yeah, it's going to be is... your job, I think, to to <laughs> to, <laughs> to reel me in. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to say about Uppsala. So gradually, yeah. over the course of the 20th century, East Orange, like so many of the suburban communities outside Newark um began to change. And by the 60s, when we got there, while East Orange was still a sort of nice middle class town, it was getting to be more and more of a middle to lower class town. And over the decades until the 90s, I guess, it became a very poor Town and the the white community fled, and it was just not like a, a welcoming place for this Lutheran college mm, anymore. Mm-hmm. And they tried really hard to adapt to the changing community, but ultimately they they couldn't um, they couldn't survive financially, and so finally the the place just closed. Yeah. But by then, the radio station WFMU, which had existed for many, many years from the early days of FM radio, like in the 50s. Um, the people who were programming that station at that point had already managed to f- um, found a nonprofit organization that bought the station from the college before the college went bankrupt. And so FMU continues to this day to be one of the premier Presences because of the internet all around the world for freeform radio. But you're
1: getting very far ahead ah, in our story. I am.
0: Yeah. This is. I'm sorry. This oh. is.
1: And also, I do want to talk. I think we should. We should do uh, have a talk on a podcast with Mom about and really get into the or the FMU, the early FMU days. Okay. So I want to touch. I want to touch on it now. Okay. And I have a lot of questions about it, but I do want to talk. More about FMU because it's so fun to talk about okay okay um, but yeah FM the well the the station that you ended up joining and running at Uppsala mm-hmm. was and is WFMU yep which is now They're in Jersey City yes a legendary freeform artsy crazy mm-hmm. amazing uh, radio station yeah
0: it's a kind of place where you can never quite predict. Except that that you, the only thing you can predict is that w- what you're going to hear is going to be pretty weird. Yeah. Um. Even when it sounds straight, it's not really. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And it and it doesn't. Um. There's a lot of volunteer people who do shows. It's like the ultimate community free form, but it's a community of the whole world, not just of a local place. Yeah. You know. So and it's it's right across the the bay from new york so it's got a very new york centric kind of feel to it which it even had back then which is what we brought to it um we had a lot of people from new york who came out cuz there wasn't much really on the commercial radio at that point doing what we were doing right you know playing the kind of music we were playing
1: and they actually fmu is how i started first listening to podcasts is that they release a lot of their shows Mm. as podcasts. And I uh, would always listen to 7 Second Delay to Ken and Andy's. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, very funny. Oh, my God.
1: And I could just listen to that all day.
0: And you discovered that pretty much on your own. I I don't even
1: remember how I found it.
0: Well, I, I can remember taking you there when you were a kid
1: yeah i mean i knew about fmu and i yeah. and i would listen to it but i don't know how i found that show
0: yeah,
1: yeah um but yeah there's a lot of special specials and they podcast um especially their shows that aren't music shows right. they that you can get them on on podcast right. um okay so mom went to Uppsala. And you had gotten into NYU, but you weren't going because you were a rebel. or
0: something. Yeah, it was my my Jack Kerouac phase. Yeah, you know, I was, I was gonna go out west and and uh, be a fire watcher on a mountain <laughs> and get in touch with my desolation angels. You know that, mm-hmm. that whole thing. And I, sure. I was into like you know the whole beat world and Allen Ginsberg yeah. and all that, and and. My, I was becoming very estranged from my parents and they didn't really, they didn't, they didn't push me. They didn't have the kind of hands-on thing that we associate with, with parents and child rearing since that generation. You know, like my parents were the children from the, the Depression and World War Two, you know, and uh, they got married in 1946 right after the war. And 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 um, to them, when you when you were a child, by the time you were out of high school, you were pretty much on your own. You right. know, you I mean, they didn't they didn't. F- Sit me down and say, Well, look, now you got to go to college and uh, this and that, or you're going to get drafted or whatever. You know, they didn't, we didn't have that conversation ever. Mm -hmm. So I just, um, you know, I was just going to go with the flow.
1: And you were coming off of a very specific kind of rebellious teenagerhood where you had gone to seminary Mm -hmm. when you were 14?
0: Yeah. Like 15, and you? 14, and
1: so. what kind of seminary? It well, was?
0: it was. Uh, it was. It was not for the priesthood. It was for um, the Marist Brothers. Mm-hmm. There's a whole bunch of brother organizations out there, like uh, you know the Christian Brothers and the Jesuits have, and they're brother, monks. Franciscan Brothers. Yeah. they're sort of like monks, but they exist in the real world. They don't go off and and yeah. and uh, live alone. Uh, there are some that that do. Right. You know, there are some that are that are. Um, what's the word? Se- it, sequestered. Yeah. Sequestered. Or like, cloistered. Yeah. Cloistered. cloistered. That's it. Um, like
1: nuns. Some nuns are yeah, cloistered yeah. nuns, and some nuns are doing service work in the world. Yeah,
0: teachers and nurses right. and But they, like that.
1: These brothers wore robes, and they, that's what you like. They liked. did
0: wear robes. I love the ro- I love the costume. Did yeah. you
1: get to wear the robes as a student?
0: No, I never got you to wear
1: You earned like, a right yeah. to wear a robe. Yeah,
0: you had to go through several years oh. before you got... A, we should get you
1: some <laughs> <laughs> to somewhere. I feel like you never got your yeah,
0: robe. Yeah, well, I was uh, I was an altar boy for a short while, so I got to wear the the altar boy robes.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Is that good? Those are good too. Those are good too. They yeah. have a little belt or what? You get a little
0: uh, robe? No, not really. Belt. The cincture, I think those are called. That's what that's <laughs> called. But the the brothers, the Maris brothers, the hip guys, the hip brothers. Would take that rope, you know, that cincture, that belt, yeah. and they would, uh, you know, they would... Twirl it. Twirl it. That's why I was so into that Alaskan yo-yo, I think, because yeah. the, the Alaskan yo-yo was twirled in much the same way that those, like, you know, Brother Leo and the really hip brothers would twirl the... Oh,
1: man. The, yeah. How old do you think those guys were?
0: They were... Anywhere from their 30s to their 80s. Okay. You know, there were some real old guys. But
1: the cool yeah. ones were in their 30s. The cool
0: guys were younger. Yeah, definitely. Oh, my gosh. And they were teachers. They had schools all over the Northeast. There was a, a big one in uh, in in New York City. I think in the Bronx. They had schools out in Texas and in and, uh, uh, Amarillo and, and um, mm-hmm. you know, like some of the border towns out there. Like one of my best friends in... in in the school, the seminary that I, I always called it a seminary because it was easier for people to understand it right. than to say it was a novitiate or a preparatory school or whatever. But we were in uh, upstate New York on the Hudson River, Sopus, New York. Mm-hmm. Right, And uh, one of my best friends was a guy named Jose, Jose I think Fer- Ferrara maybe or Gonzalez. I'm not sure one of those, a mm-hmm. name like that. And he was from uh, Abilene. Mm-hmm. Or some place like that, no, it wasn't that it wasn't Abilene. but it was some town in in Texas, like a border town, yeah, and he was, had him out there. He was very exotic as far as I was concerned, <laughs> I thought, but the Marist brothers had their origins, I think, in f- France, uh-huh. and French Canada um. They were formed like in the nineteenth century and yeah. they were teaching brothers. That and
1: you and but but boys went to this school because they wanted to become a brother. You didn't just go because it was a good boarding school. No, it, no, it, no, it, no, the idea was you were in training.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I thought I had a vocation.
1: At fourteen you were like I mean you were raised Catholic. Yeah. And you were like, I'm gonna go become a monk and wear ropes.
0: Yeah. I mean I bought the whole package. Yeah. I, I went to this school marist high school in bayonne new jersey that uh when we lived in bayonne we lived right around the corner from it and i was very enamored of the look of the it was an all-boys school at the time you know the the guys all wore like sport jackets and ties because it was like a prep school you know and i liked the look and i really uh, i wanted to be like that and so uh even though we no longer lived in that town we had moved in the when i was in the 8th grade uh, I wanted to go to Marist High School, and so I demanded that my parents let me go. So there. wait,
1: who the the teachers were wearing jackets and ties? No, the students. the students.
0: Yeah, the students look really cool. Okay. And the teachers were wearing the robes with the cinctures. So know, they the... were
1: Mar- It was Marist Brothers were the teachers there, but yeah. that was just a regular. That was prep a regular,
0: pre- yeah, regular high school. Okay. Um, so I, I, you know, they were always recruiting. Oh my you know, God. for the brotherhood, and right. I was a prime candidate, and I fell for it hook, line, and sinker. And I
1: how was it introduced? The idea, how was the idea introduced to you that you could go to to this seminary, that you could become a brother? Was that something that was just like, do you remember? It was
0: sort of always in the air there, mm-hmm. and as soon as I evidenced any kind of um, interest in it, they they sucked me in. You and, know, and I, See, I was like a nerdy kid I didn't have right. a lot of friends It's I like wasn't, a cult,
1: they were yeah, offering you yeah, Acceptance yeah, and a vocation yeah. And you're like, that sounds You're 14 right.
0: I wasn't into sports, I was always a kind of You know, chubby glasses I've wore glasses since kindergarten' oh, so
1: cute you know, <laughs> yeah but I wasn't cute. cute I
0: was beat up I a lot know. <laughs> you know I was like I was always I wasn't beat up but I was always the brunt of jokes and and uh I didn't didn't know how to deal with girls and you you felt that.
1: like an outsider yeah
0: so this was like a good thing for me because they were gonna treat me like I was special
1: oh you know? <laughs> do oh, cry. <laughs> no, don't. <laughs> oh, God. That's oh, so adorable. Yeah. So, uh, so you, you're there, like, you can go do this. You go home to your parents. You say, next year I want to go to seminary. Yeah, and well. And they're like, great.
0: Well, no. Oh, no. God, no. <laughs> I said, I have a, voc- a vocation almost said vacation I have
1: a vocation for I, a vacation I
0: have a vocation I've been called by God
1: so you it was religious to you you if you oh, felt yeah. it wasn't just I want to go join a cool boys club no it no was no, like, no
0: I was I was this primed is religious. for this religious experience and you you if you were a, a Catholic parent and my parents being Italian you know first generation Italians were Really steeped in that Italian Catholicism. Right. Uh, this was you were taught by the church that the ultimate gift from God was for your children to be called to have a vocation. But, so you right. were you were happy. You were t- taught that you should be happy that your daughter was gonna go off and you know hide in a, in a nunnery somewhere and and to have a priest as a your son become a priest right was the greatest people didn't buy it but they, that was what, the idea yeah that's what they were taught that was the party line was mm-hmm. that this was a great gift from God yeah. and having a vocation was you were called by God to do this you know like you know, like the way our politicians today tell us that they're politicians because God has called them to become, right. you know, candidates for for the presidency. Sure. I mean, they really think God is talking to them, and I did too. I thought. Well, and I there's was, a
1: fine line because yeah. there is. I I do think there, it. I do think it's true whether you think it's coming from anywhere other than inside of yourself there is something to be said for something that is your life's work mm-hmm. and that you discover you have a talent for this and a love for this mm-hmm. and it's it feels like what you're you know supposed to be doing like yeah. supposed to in quotes but like whatever that so i i think it's it is hard though when it's like right right does I was that 14 mean years that old, well you're 14 you know. and also Just because you think you're supposed to do it doesn't mean it justifies, you know, and the world should agree with you.
0: Yeah, but my my parents, God bless them and love them, were, you know, they were willing to go along with it. I was a very stubborn...
1: But they weren't happy about it. No,
0: no. Because you were their baby. Yeah, especially my mother. My mother was not happy about it at all. And, uh, but I, you know, I... Towed the, the the line of that s- straight ahead, you know, conservative. This is the way it's going to be thing, you know. Yeah. And I got them to agree to let me go.
1: So you and how long did you stay?
0: I was there a, a year and two months.
1: And at what point did you realize you had made a huge mistake? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah.
0: So let's see. How long did that take? <laughs> I went there in like September of 80, uh, 80 62. Right. 1962. I was uh, just starting my sophomore year in high school. And um, I came home in the summer of 63 and read Catcher in the Rye.
1: Yeah, that'll do it. Yeah,
0: that was pretty much the beginning of it and probably somewhere in there heard either Joan Baez or Peter Paul and Mary. I don't mm-hmm. think I heard Bob Dylan yet, but I heard something resembling folk music.
1: Do you remember where you or no. how where you would have heard no, it? Can no. You guess? I don't I
0: may, maybe just on the radio. Yeah. Because, you know, Peter, Paul, Mary were on the radio. They were top 40. You know, they had hit records or maybe I saw it on television or something. But between between Catcher in the Rye and um, this other stuff, I began to have my doubts about it.
1: And you were 15 at that point. Yeah. And what did those things mean to you? What did Catcher in the Rye mean? I mean, Catcher in the Rye is all, everyone's phony.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's what it meant to me. It meant that these that the whole the brotherhood was phony. Um, I think I told you the story about how when I went there, I donated all of my paperback books because I had a neat little library for a young teenager. I was a reader from my earliest days, and I had a lot of cool books, and, and that was one of the things. When you read The Lives of the Saints... You know, they'd go off and they'd, they'd donate all their uh, earthly possessions to the order whenever, right. they, whenever they decided they were going to become, you know, like St. Francis of Assisi and those guys, you know. They, so I gave my—I didn't have any wealth other than my little library of paperback books. And, and I brought all those books, and I thought they were going to go into the, the library at the school— and they didn't, they just disappeared. And one day I saw some of them in one of the brothers, you know, like private quarters. And I was like, oh, you know, they took all my books, man. Because <laughs> I had like decent books. I yeah. was reading like adult books when I was in the eighth grade, right. you know. So,
1: well, and I love that you had this idea of this utopian collective living situation mm. of, it's interesting to me because I feel like you, you're, your disillusionment happened nice and early. <laughs> I think that served you later. Mm. That And it it happened, I don't know. I want to hold on to that idea because I, I like this idea that sort of at 15, I guess that's normal to be like the world is a bunch of phonies. But I do think it it maybe made you more realistic about the sort of... Uh, utopian ideals culturally that were about to come Mm. that Mm. you had done this thing at 14 that was like let's all I mean because even though it's it's religious there is something very peace and love about like this communal living and it seems like that's what you were attracted to Mm -hmm. was this like you know really beautiful idea of we can live together we can share everything right and the fact that very early you were like no man that doesn't work is is that's an interesting piece of information to see that happen concretely?
0: Yeah, and happened just as the culture itself was morphing into this thing that was called the counterculture, or right. you know, the the whole hippie social cultural revolution of of the '60s, and you know, the music and the mores and the clothing and the everything was changing in those years. And somehow, um, yeah, I, I never thought about it the way you're thinking about it. Well, that and that
1: it's and that the it, things were about to turn into so, you know, questioning authority and questioning things that had gone unquestioned for so long. And that for you, the authority, even more than your family, had been the church mm-hmm. and had been like that was the ultimate authority in your life up to that point. And that you threw yourself into it completely and trusted it with this, like, very open, naive heart that is, like, so well-meaning and beautiful as a 14-year-old to say, yes, I'm all in. I'm in for God. I'm in for for brotherhood.
0: Right. And I was going to take... Ultimately, I would take vows. All the brothers, when you finally became a brother, you took the three vows, the famous vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. So I was you know, giving up girls before I had even discovered girl, or giving up right. sex, you know, right. giving up any kind of love life with another human being. Right. Even before I discovered that I had those urges and, um, you know, poverty. Well, okay. You know, that was, that made sense. And obedience was the third thing. You
1: right. Know, one, yeah. <laughs> you got cured of that one real quick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you tried obedience once. Yeah. And, it and didn't, then uh, you're like, no, no. Yeah. not for me. That didn't work. That didn't pay off.
0: Yeah. So I went <laughs> back in in uh, in August of 63. We spent a couple of weeks at a summer camp closing it, the camp that the Marist brothers had somewhere in New York State. And then we went back to um, Esopus. Only Esopus wasn't going to be the high school anymore. They were going to combine it with with another um, training school that they had in. I can't think of the name now. It's where Marist College is today. There's a there's a very big, and uh, uh, very active in in sports. I always hear like the Marist College football team, Marist College basketball team, you know, on the on the New York City radio stations and stuff. Where whatever town that college is in. They also had high school, and that's what was going to become the school for art group, right? Okay. So I wasn't going back to the place I was already familiar with. I was going to a new place.
1: Was the twenty was,
0: miles away or fifty miles away? Was the
1: other whatever. was something happening to the other campus, or you I, were just transitioning? They to... were
0: they were transitioning. Okay. Um, they, the other campus was just going to be for the older. Pre brothers and the novices, the college age guys, ah. right? And, and that
1: was that was the beautiful spot. That was all oh, was Hudson beautiful. River. Oh, it, it was,
0: was extraordinary. And
1: they were taking that away from
0: yeah. You. And it was it was the estate, the old estate of the wealthy um, Payne Whitney families. Um, okay. And uh, the the big the the big mansion was for the novices, and they had converted the. Uh, uh, the stables for the high school kids. That's where we lived. We mm-hmm. lived in the, and it was beautiful. I mean, yeah. it was like, even though it was the stables. I mean, they they just added on dormitories and stuff. But the the old stable was an extraordinary building. And down on the river, they had a beautiful stone boathouse where they kept their the smaller boat that went out to the yacht that was. Out. <laughs> You know the, the Whitney family, right? It was one of the you yeah. know, wealthy New York. So families. part
1: of this life of poverty was also this beautiful Maybe place. I get to live in this incredible yeah. place that yeah. has a yacht.
0: At least for now. No, we didn't have a yacht. Oh no, no. When when the Whitney family lived there, there was a yacht.
1: Oh okay. They yeah, didn't no, no, give no. you we the didn't. yacht. No,
0: we didn't get no, a yacht. No, no, we didn't. No. Have a yacht. We no. didn't even have a rowboat. We didn't have anything. But in the winter, we would we would. Uh, um, toboggan down this incredible hill that went from the mansion down like four or five levels down to the river. And Mm -hmm. and you'd be, you'd be tobogganing down going so fast that you think when you got to the bottom, you were definitely going to just sail off into the frozen Hudson river. They
1: lose anybody that way.
0: Uh, I don't know. Not (laughs) Not when when I was there. No, no. But so they moved us to this other place. And, uh, I didn't like it. And we were moving in with some other guys who were also studying for the Brotherhood. And we had to get used to each other. And that was that threw me a little bit. And I wasn't primed to really like any of it anyhow, you know, because now I was beginning to question.
1: Well, and the being at the mercy of them being able to move you wherever they wanted to must have been frustrating, I think. I guess. To have them just say, now you're going to live here. When you had made a clear decision, I mean, you knew where you were going when you decided to go there. Mm-hmm. And to only get to be in that sort of, that beautiful picturesque place for a year and have them say, now you got to go here. Yeah. To have it be so clearly demonstrated that they had complete control for <laughs> <over laughs> your life right. is a little weird. I
0: didn't want to. I yeah, I Now, do
1: you remember? So, if it was Peter Paul and Mary, or if it, it was Joan Baez, do you do you remember listening to that music that summer? Do you remember a sense of what the music, the music that was start you were starting to hear then, meant to you?
0: Well, I I'm pretty sure it was. It was like Puff the Magic Dragon, you know? Sure. I'm not sure if it was blowing in the wind yet, but I think it was. I think it was Peter Paul and Mary's blowing in the wind. I'd have to look it up um, whether that was out that summer. But there was, in the summer when I was home, I was watching television. I was watching the news. I was watching the beginnings of, or not really the beginnings of, but the explosion of The civil rights movement, which I had been very sensitive to for a bunch of years. I wrote, um, when I was a a junior, no. Yeah, I guess when I was a a junior, this was after I came back.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I wrote a letter. This was in 1964. I wrote a letter to a newspaper in New York at the time that was called the Journal American. It was a very, um, I didn't know it at the time, but it was one of the, one of Hearst's papers. It was a very conservative paper, but it was the New York paper that my parents got. Um, They got that in the Daily News and in the local papers, you know, the Jersey papers. And I wrote this letter to the editor, be crying this horrible thing that I had seen on the news of white police down in the South somewhere um, turning hoses on people, you know, like these powerful. You,
1: and you had seen that in the paper. I know. You... I
0: saw it on the news. Oh, wow. I saw it on the news. But this was now a year later after mm-hmm. I'd come back. Uh, so I was very sensitive to the whole civil rights thing, even before I went away to to the Brotherhood. Um, and then when i came back i got really involved in it and i was like you know we got to do something about this and they published my letter and they made a big deal about it cuz i was <laughs> a high school i was a high school kid they published it as a lead editorial oh yeah in the new york journal journal american
1: and you were like uh, i got things to say yeah, and people are going to listen yeah
0: you know it was like so i was right there in the middle of the 60s it's yeah. happening, you know, and and I was aware of this Vietnam War in the way distant, way distant part of you know the culture. I knew something about that, and I, I knew that somehow if that didn't stop, I was going to have to deal with that, too. But, right. but I still was I I was of the generation that worshipped, the guys who fought World War II, which right. was my father's generation. Right. You know, we—even we, though those guys didn't really talk to us very much about it, which we now know was a very general thing, that they, they came back and they had seen some some awful shit and they didn't want to talk right, about it. Right, they you were know. done. Um, we, we romanticized them because of the Hollywood movies that were so prevalent in the culture, the John Wayne movies, the Gung Ho and the Sands of Iwo Jima and all these— you know, uh, Hollywood movies that didn't show the real horror of war, but just the romantic good guy versus bad guy thing of it, you know. so So I figured, well, you know, if I was going to have to go to war, well, that was just, that was a rite of passage, you know. That's what every young man is called to do. But it was still far enough off in the future, because I was now 15 i didn't yeah. have i only had a you know it was like three years but when you're 15 that's a life that's a lifetime <laughs> that's three years that. you know yeah so
1: so you were primed you were ready for the cultural moment that was about to hit
0: <laughs> i was you
1: were you were ready to yeah. receive it
0: yeah and we should why don't we uh, you want to stop there because we've been going how long have we been going well we
1: can go a little bit long i think yeah. we're at um about let's get you to let's get you to upsala okay we're at 40 oh all right i know you've been talking i got see i get you talking all right let's go a little let's get you to Uppsala and we'll leave you we'll leave you at upsala and then we'll come back later from to from there
0: all right okay
1: so you why are you getting tired
0: no i just <laughs> I, 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 you know i i love talking with you about this yeah I can't imagine why anybody would care or listen. Well, we'll let them
1: decide. That's the beautiful part of this. Yeah,
0: you're right. You're right. They
1: can turn it off. They can skip to the next episode. They cannot listen at all.
0: Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like I'm used to having music to fall back on. You know, I I did music personality radio for 48 years, but it was never just like me for, well... I guess I did. I did. Yeah. It you and me uh, we were disguising
1: yeah. that it was just you talking. Yeah. You'd be like, oh, no, it's not just me talking. Now I'm going to play some music yeah. as an excuse and right. then I'll stop and then I'll right. talk again.
0: Right, 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 right. Yeah, that's true. I would go to the. Which for it's not,
1: time. I mean, it's not true. It, it is true that I think that what you, that you, well, I and mean, we'll talk about this more later, but that genuinely what you love is sharing things with people and whether that's stories or our new books or music or bands, that mm-hmm. that has always been your your motivation in having a radio show and that's what it's been about. So we don't we won't have music for you to fall fall back on.
0: Yeah, because we can't afford it. <laughs> it
1: can't, yeah, you can't you can't play whole songs on podcasts.
0: Yeah. The the regulations, the rules of, of uh you know, um, paying, paying for the creative rights, you know, the, the, the copyright issues and stuff. And we yeah. just can't,
1: but we're going to have, uh, we're going to have some old interviews. We're going to have stuff other than just us talking.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Down the line. We um, are.
1: and, and also, I mean, this is just sort of, I think you're, I, I think your story is interesting. And I think especially people who have listened to you on the radio for a long time and don't know, maybe your whole story will think it's interesting. Yeah. So, um, and most of this will be us having, you know, won't just be me asking you about your story. So you don't feel self conscious. Okay. Okay. Good. Um, uh, okay. So you want to get me to. So let's get you to Uppsala. To Uppsala. So you uh, went back, you went back to Marist or you went. At Marist High, or I no? went
0: back to Marist High when I left the the novitiate. Let's call it that.
1: And then, were you pissed when you were like, when you had those Marist brothers around? Were you now like these no, guys?
0: No, no, no. I was. I was okay. These guys steal books.
1: I was you walking o- around town going, "These yeah, guys steal books." Yeah,
0: I. The only thing I was pissed at them for was that I didn't think they were speaking out enough about civil rights. And by the time I was a senior in the school, which was 64 into 65, I graduated in June of 65, the war was very much on everybody's mind and they weren't speaking out about that. So I remember challenging the brothers when I came back.
1: And you felt, did you feel from the beginning of your interest in... Uh, in the civil rights movement, that you you felt it was connected to your ideas about religious faith. Did you had you made that connection? Oh yeah, of like this is what but love your brother. Yeah, love, yeah, you know, exactly. This, this is, is what it's supposed to be about.
0: Right, exactly. The, the The whole idea that you could call yourself a Christian or a Catholic or you know believe in the teachings of Jesus and And then you could turn around and and reject other human beings and 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 treat them poorly. And and, it just didn't make any sense to me. It was this is what what God is love means. It means we love each other and we take care of each other and we're all brothers and sisters. And my parents were very, um, you know, they they taught me that they didn't teach it in any kind of a political way but they were very fair minded open you know accepting of everyone kind of people mm-hmm. and and that got through to me it wasn't just from the religion it was from my family too it was from my upbringing my father was was of uh, he was a strict moralist catholic but to him that meant you did you followed the commandments and the commandments were Love your fellow man the way you love God, you know. Right. So yeah, that's where that came from. Right. It was, um, and and don't forget too that the church, um, not so much the Catholic Church that I knew, but but the Christian Church, the Protestant churches, were intimately involved in the civil rights movement. And as I got more into it, I began to find that there were, like, these left-of-center Catholic enclaves, especially in New York, that were that were supporting the Civil Rights Movement and then the anti-war movement. There were radical priests. There were radical nuns. You know, I began to learn all about that. But at first it was just—I I remember going to a, a meeting at a Protestant church in Bayonne, Uh, In my senior year, this was a meeting for people who were interested in the civil rights movement and being one of the few white people there um, and and certainly the only white teenager, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, and it just seemed like this was. where. And I remember going the next day to school and saying to the brother who was my homeroom teacher my homeroom guy i said why weren't you there last night mm-hmm. you know where were the brothers why you know why was i the only one in bayonne who went
1: to oh. you know because i
0: thought that that radical was a teenager yeah it was just like a it was the thing that they were supposed to be doing if yeah. they really believed in what they said they believed in
1: well and this was also hitting you at the perfect adolescent moment of that time in adolescence when you're so sure of yourself yeah. and you know exactly oh, what's yeah. right and what's wrong. Yeah. And what's right is that these, if these guys are going to believe in this, they should be there. They right. should be on the front lines of this.
0: Right. There's no um, there's no subtlety. There's no right. understanding that there's the questions are right. know, complex and, and maybe that's where their hearts were, but they couldn't do it because they were, you know. Right their hands were, t- whatever. Who you knows? Know. I mean, who knows? But so, yeah. So I went back to Marist and, uh, by my senior year, me and this, this kid, Denny O'Connell, were the, we were like sort of the ones who were listening to Bob Dylan and listening to the, the early British invasion rock and roll bands, you know, the Rolling Stones and the Animals. And, mm-hmm. and uh, he was at Marist with you. He was at Marist with me. He lived in Jersey city. And uh, we 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 um, we figured out how to like cut class together. And and uh, I became sort of ba- a bad boy with, sure. with, with Denny.
1: Yeah. Um, You're reading the beats. You've got your. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 I'm reading all these books. He's Jack Kerouac. books. Yeah. And, it's
1: time and, to uh, get some bad habits. Yeah.
0: So I would cut like we we had we had Jim uh, a couple of afternoons a week. And it was always the last period, so it was really easy. Oh to my, just, just you know, asking for last it. Last period. Come I mean, on. Come on. <laughs> and we last didn't last
1: period gym. We didn't have a sucker goes to that. We,
0: <laughs> we didn't have our own gym. We we actually used some other gym because the school was rebuilding itself at yeah. the time. And uh, um and and they rented out space in the PAL, the gym there. And so they would bus us from oh. the from the school to the gym, you know, 20 blocks away. And then we'd have to, you know, sometime between getting off the bus and entering in the gym, Denny and I figured out we could just disappear. Yeah, and, just walk away. Yeah, walk away. And they didn't, yeah. you know, give a shit. And so oh, cares? Uh, so cares? Uh, so that was the beginning of, like, my whole understanding that I could do something against the rules and... Get away with it. Yeah. That the sky didn't open up. Uh Uh-huh. And the hand of God didn't come down. Right, because up until
1: now, that was the threat.
0: That was the threat, was that you you sin and you will be punished. You break the rules and you will be caught. And that was something else that my father drilled into me, was that, you know, if you broke the rules, then you were going to pay for it. If not now... Some way down the road, but somewhere down the road, you were going to have to pay for it.
1: So is cutting gym class the first bad thing you ever did?
0: I think it was, yeah.
1: At 16 now, 16, 17, you cut gym well, class. Well,
0: I remember as a as a kid, like, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old, somewhere in there, I remember stealing some penny candy from the corner candy store in Bayonne. But I got caught. I, I got caught, and so that was the Who, end. Of, they, they caught you doing it? They caught it? me doing it, red-handed. I, the second time. Like, the first time I got away with it, and the second time I went back. They caught you. And they caught me. And so I you were like, there
1: like, you go, proof. Dad yeah, was right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You'd get caught, and that and was that was that. Okay. And, uh, uh, you know, I wasn't like, uh, I wasn't sexually sophisticated yet. So I wasn't I yeah. Can we talk about this? You're my daughter and stuff. Yeah. But you know, like I, I mean, keep
1: it. Yeah, know, it's a family podcast.
0: But I wasn't um, even as a senior in high school. I yeah. still didn't. You know weren't
1: it. dating girls. Yeah, and I
0: wasn't. You know, pleasuring myself or no, anything. That, you no, know, that's I, too far. You that's too far? too far. Oh, okay. All right. So, in uh, case
1: you were wondering <laughs> what the line was, you just crossed.
0: I it. just crossed it. All Congratulations. right. Congratulations. Okay. Thank you. Well done. Um. <laughs> So I didn't have any, any other proof about.
1: Oh my God! You're such a Catholic. Because
0: <laughs> so... that that oh was no. a that was a sin. Nope, we're not talking about it. All right, all right. Uh...
1: <laughs> okay, so you you did some. You cut gym class, and the rest of your life was decided. You were like, yeah, man.
0: If I can do this.
1: I can do anything. I can do anything. (laughs) And
0: then I stopped going to church on Sunday morning. Oh, boy. I would convince my parents that it would be okay if I went to a later mass. No. Yeah. and (gasps) And we walked to church. This was now, we lived in Roselle Park. Yeah. And the church that we went to was about a half a mile away or so in Elizabeth the next down over, mm-hmm. and we would generally walk unless the weather was real bad, in which case my dad would drive. But in nice weather, it was a nice walk. And I convinced them that I could go to a later mass and I could go by myself. Because what
1: time was mass? Or well, was on the mass? hour,
0: every hour on the hour on Sunday morning. When, when would they go? They would go maybe to the 8 or 9 o'clock. Yeah. and I, You could go up until like noon there was a mass. Yeah. So if I could go to the 10 or 11 oh, o'clock man. and I would just keep walking <gasps> and I would walk to Elmora Avenue and Elizabeth, the corner of Elmora and Westfield Avenue where the Jersey Central train had a little tiny train stop and I would sit in the little tiny train stop and read for an hour and then I'd walk home. How?
1: Because f- that was like a free place to sit yeah. where they weren't going to show they up. They weren't going to see me Why would they be there? at the train station? yeah.
0: yeah. And my father finally figured it out one day when I came home and didn't have the church bulletin, the weekly bulletin that they handed out every Sunday. And I didn't have, you usually would fold it up, put it in your pocket and bring it home, you know, to read later. Yeah. You know, and, and he saw that I didn't have it.
1: And it wasn't, it wasn't a plausible that you just didn't pick it up that week. No. It was like no. this. Is... He Cause, must have suspected because
0: I always walk when I would skip the mass, right? I would walk past the church on my way to the train station. Yeah, and I would usually stop and get, I get one and have it in my pocket, so that I, if he, you know, if I, he had to refer to it or I had to refer to it, I'd have one. And one week I forgot it, and
1: oh man, so you set it up, you set up the expectation.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: But don't you think he suspected? Um, uh, Don't you think that's fishy? Yeah, I'm gonna go to a later mass.
0: I guess. I mean, I don't know. I don't know.
1: Okay. So you have. Wait. I'm gonna. I'm gonna pause this for one second because I really have to pee. Okay. Keep that thought. Okay. Pause this. Beautiful.
0: It's just a a little musical interlude. (laughs) Musical interlude. For those of you out there (laughs) in in Podville who... uh, (laughs) Oh, I like that. Podville. Podville. (laughs) Excuse me. So there I was skipping Mass. Yeah. And my father uh, caught me once. You know, we had... By the time I was a senior in high school... I was starting to become estranged from everything, from you know not only the religion, but from my family. And we you know started arguing about things and arguing about civil rights and arguing about the war, about the way things were being conducted. Because you know? my parents came from that generation that found it very hard to accept that authority could be wrong. You know, yeah. they believed in the government. Right. They believed in the government. The government's word was was good. Right. And the government's actions were good. And as you began to see that the government wasn't living up to its end of the bargain. Um, it took people like my parents a much longer time to get over that than the rest of us.
1: Well, cuz there's that World War 2 thing of the idea that 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 was that was a just war. That yeah. was a war that was fought for an important cause. Mm-hmm. And also it better be because it was horrible. Yeah. So right. this idea of if we let go of if we let go of the idea that the that the government knows what it's doing and the government is is doing what's best for us, we're in a whole lot of trouble because that's kind of what's keeping us sane. Yeah. Is well what 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 we saw and what we went through was worth it. Which it was. It, but it, it was. But yeah. but if if you're if that if that's what you're, you know, hanging your hat on every time. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be hard. Yeah. You're gonna be in a lot yeah. of trouble.
0: Now don't forget that the that the key event which we haven't even um, to, you know look, looked at yet or, or or brought into the story was November of 1963 John Kennedy, the President of the United States is assassinated in, uh, in Dallas, Texas right a couple of weeks after I came home from the seminary
1: after you came home for good
0: yeah uh-huh yeah and yeah, I, do it. I thought that somehow I, this was this was the hand of God. Personally, mm. reaching out and showing me that God was pissed that I left the not really I mean I knew intellectually that that was stupid but there was a part of me that felt guilty that if somehow if I had stayed true to what I believed or what I thought I believed back then you know pre-leaving that somehow the president would have, wouldn't have would have been killed maybe I mean, it
1: I, was your fault I don't know No, no,
0: of course not. But, you know, so Kennedy was 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 uh, in many respects a unifier. And it was also sort of the beginning of the generation gap, which is what they talked about in the 60s. You know, because we all. Parents and children, we all mourned the death of this president, but the parents weren't so much interested in delving into the story of how he got murdered, as the children were. Mm -hmm. The parents were willing to accept the official report, killed by a lone assassin, a crazy guy connected to the communists somehow, and blah, 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 and that was it. Whereas the children were like, no, wait, he was our president. We want to know, really, what, you know, let's investigate further. Let's find out more. So that was... That coupled with the fact that two months later, the Beatles appeared on American television on the Ed Sullivan show was where the generations began to began to grow apart. Yeah. You know, the rock and roll, long hair. I mean, when you look at the Beatles now on that first Sullivan appearance, they look so straight and so non-threatening. and so You know, they look like uh, baby dolls, you know. That that could have been considered radical is uh, an amazing thought, but it's true they were, and those two events were were where the '60s really began to take hold as um, as a changing epoch in American culture. Mhm. Mhm. That sounded good, didn't it? That's good. Thank you.
1: We're getting some history.
0: Yeah. So there you so, are. Yeah. So there I am <laughs> <laughs> and
1: and you are at home and you are increasingly alienated from uh, your parents and you apply you apply to college I apply senior to year college. Of high
0: school Yeah. I do. And did
1: you want to go to NYU because was in York? the village? Yeah.
0: Cause NYU now is the village, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then, but then it wasn't quite as uh, as uh, uh, proprietary as it is now. The village was still the village in 1965. Yeah. And it was the, this romantic place to be. It was where, you know, the folk music was coming from. It was places like the Gaslight and Gertie's Folk City and these wonderful clubs and, you know, Bleeker and McDougal Street. And,
1: and would you go into the city when in high
0: school? I started in... Well, I always went into the city as a teenager, um, either to go to the theater or... Or I had this friend, Joe Cooney, who lived with me in Roselle Park, lived down the street from me, who was a big train nut. So I would ride the Jersey Central train into into the city. We we would go to, I think the the line went to Jersey City, and then from Jersey City there was a ferry that went over to Chambers Street. And you
1: were in Asbury Park?
0: No, Roselle Park. Oh, Roselle Park. Roselle I'm Park. sorry, Roselle yeah, Park. Roselle Park. Um,
1: and you could take that to Jersey City and then Jersey City in yeah, Manhattan.
0: yeah. Um, a, a ferry and I would wander oh. around lower Manhattan by myself or with Joe Cooney.
1: And your parents knew that's where you were? Yeah, oh yeah. That was w- just accepted.
0: Yeah, because when, when when I grew up when we moved to Bayonne when we before we moved out of Bayonne kids could go anywhere, you know.
1: And Grandpa had uh, lived in the in the West Village, didn't he? He grew up on, yeah. on Perry, Perry Street. Perry Street, yeah. So it wasn't sort of this unknown like oh Manhattan is
0: No no they they understood New York.
1: Yeah. You know. They had a relationship to it.
0: Yeah. And uh as a kid I always traveled on my own. I always took the bus from Bayonne up to Journal Square in Jersey City to go to my music lessons and uh uh you know going to see Whitey's Arneke on Summit Avenue in in Jersey City mm-hmm. to clarinet lessons. And so they, they let me travel by myself to the city.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, so you had a relationship with Manhattan and with the village yeah. as a teenager. Yeah.
0: And, and as a senior in high school, I would go in on the weekends. I was like a bridge and tunnel guy. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. but not the negative version <laughs> of that. Because right. I, I didn't travel in packs. I traveled yeah. alone. And I would just wander around the village. Yeah. And, uh,
1: and, and it did Did it seem very, it was very romantic to me. Yeah. Well,
0: I, I wouldn't have used that word then, but looking back right. on it now, I know that that's what it was. It was exciting, and it was an adventure, and it was where the beats were, and it was where this whole history of a certain kind of uh, left-wing c- culture came from. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, yeah, you know, I mean... That was that was the place. So NYU was smack dab in the middle of it. And to me, it was uh, it was the epitome of a New York school. Right. Even more than Columbia Mm -hmm. or, or, you know, because the beats
1: were at Columbia. Right. Kerouac and. Yeah, they went to
0: Columbia. Right. Right. But But you
1: that you wanted to be downtown.
0: I wanted to be downtown.
1: Yeah. And you got in. Everybody NYU. Everybody
0: tells me that but I don't... You don't think I don't, you got in? I don't remember. I don't remember receiving an acceptance from NYU. But I... But Freddie, our mom, you know, mom... Mom
1: thinks you got in. Says
0: I got in and she she's got a much better memory than I have and I knew her at that point.
1: Right. Because you, you'd but, gone out on a couple dates. But I guess
0: I just... Um, I guess I just wasn't interested and I never followed up and my parents weren't talking to me about it and they weren't certainly weren't offering me money or anything to go to school right. and i wasn't going to them and asking i was just hanging out with this girl
1: mm-hmm.
0: who was of a different um religion mm. than this italian catholic boy you know? Jew. she was a jew he was a Jew, and my parents accepted Jews. My dad, oh, my dad worked, open-minded. my dad worked for Jews his whole life. Yeah. You know, <laughs> sure, it was very big of them. <laughs> and they were very uh open, you know, to it, but not the, their son should go out with one. No, <laughs> no, him, there's well, a line yeah. to acceptance. <laughs>
1: So mom goes to Uppsala in the fall. Yeah,
0: because she lived in West Orange, which was the next town over from East Mm -hmm. Orange, which remained fairly um, middle class, um, a white enclave. Sure. As East Orange was beginning to... Become much more blue collar and and uh, more lower p- income. Yeah, lower income, and you know all those euphemisms for for black yeah. neighborhoods yeah. taking over. Yeah, and uh, but it was still safe. Yeah, you know. So so she went there and she lived in the dormitory because she believed that that was you were supposed to do that to yeah. go, go away to college because her brother and sister who were older had both gone to Rutgers and Douglas, which was the female college at the time, the sister college to Rutgers Rutgers down in New Brunswick. Mm -hmm. So she always felt that the college experience meant living at school. Mm -hmm. So they let her live in the dormitory there because that's where she chose to go. And I started um, going to night school. I took like one or two classes maybe just so I had an excuse to be there at night and borrow the family cars. You took
1: classes at Uppsala. At Uppsala.
0: Not the first semester. The first semester I just drove up there as much as I could. And you were still
1: living at home. Still
0: living at home. But by the second semester I was starting to take classes. And by by the end of the summer into the winter of our sophomore year, I was uh, full-time.
1: And, uh, for, did she think it was, but how did she feel? I don't know. You don't have
0: to ask her. I know I was stalking her. I was, you know, we, we broke up so many times.
1: Oh, um, and you had inserted yourself into her school situation and her, I mean, you chose to go there because she was there. You were taking classes there. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. But Um, And I became interested in the poetry magazine because I still had this thing that I was going to be a poet. You know, I was writing poetry.
1: No, uh, you were both poets. We were both poets.
0: (laughs) And the poetry magazine was located in a building, a small um, former house, Mm -hmm. you know, um, that on the second floor, there was the radio station. WFMU was the studios and offices were up on the second floor of this house. And as I began to lose my desire to write poetry, which was directly related to like learning about how to be critical about writing.
1: Were you, were you taking writing classes? Yeah.
0: Well, I was taking courses in literature. They weren't okay. writing classes per se, but they were courses in how to read. You know
1: okay. how to be critical how to
0: be critical and and my own writing couldn't live up to anything I was learning in the classes, so as I was losing that desire, I started wondering what was going on upstairs oh, oh at I this didn't radio know that station they were
1: in, I didn't know this yeah that they were in the same building yep.
0: Yep. so one day I walked upstairs and I introduced myself and said, "What's going on and uh
1: and that was that that was that.
0: And before you know it, I, I convinced them to give me a show on Saturday nights, uh-huh. and we called it the Closet.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it, the idea was that I had all my records in a closet, and we had the sound effects of the records falling out of the closet at the beginning of the show. And over the course of a five or six hour show on a Saturday night into a Sunday morning, I would sort of I would play the records and put them back in the closet until next until next week. That Uh was the whole concept of the show. And it was very much based on the listening that I was doing that year to Radio Nameable, Bob Fass's show on WBAI in New York. Um, That's what I decided I wanted to do. I wanted to be that. I had played radio as a kid. I was always fascinated by radio because to me radio was always like the epitome of uh, the grown-up world. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, not not rock and roll radio, not top 40 AM radio, but the radio at the time when I was growing up in the 50s and into the early 60s, there was a station WNEW AM, which was the station that played Frank Sinatra and Ella Fitzgerald and people like that, you know, the hip, sophisticated, grown up New York uh, society kind of radio. And that's. That to me, that was the epitome of of New York. It meant show business. Mm -hmm. It meant the theater. It meant nightclubs. It meant smoking cigarettes. It meant wearing really cool ties. You know, it was like William B. Williams, the guy, the DJs were all these these men, these these like have you ever seen like a Hugh Hefner, you know, the guy from Playboy? Yeah. One of his one of a kinescope of one of his TV shows.
1: Yeah, where, uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. where he's
0: got like these like great playboy, jazz. At night. Yeah, playboy at night. and he's got like Miles Davis yeah. there and Nina Simone and all these really cool people. That's what I wanted to grow it up to be. I <laughs> want to be in that world, you know? Yeah. And so that was the kind of radio I emulated as a kid when I would play radio. Yeah. Um, That was the music that I had before I had folk music and rock and roll. I had music like that Benny Goodman and the big band era and the jazz from the 30s and 40s that was the first music I fell in love with because that was the music that grandpa that my dad yep. loved and uh and I would play radio but I never thought about really well
1: getting... and your mom grandma listened to the radio yeah. I and mean, it was on in the house Yeah, it was
0: always on in the house she listened to WOR which was uh more of a talk station mm-hmm. and she listened to the the tail end, as I was growing up, there were still um, soap operas on the uh-huh. radio in, yeah. in the 50s and 60s. And I remember listening to them with her. Um, you know, that was sort of the the last hurrah in the days when television was just getting started. Um so, there was always radio in the house, oh my God, yeah, that's a whole other subject we haven't gotten yeah, into, yeah was, we'll talk about you that. know my, and 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 my father listened to w n e w which was music primarily, and my mother listened to w o r which was talk primarily, and I wound up doing both, doing both
1: mm mm-hmm. yeah, okay, I think we'll stop there for now,
0: really, All right.
1: <laughs> I know we got a lot more to cover, um. But I think that's good. We got you to Upsala. We got you to FMU mm-hmm. and uh you wanna
0: you gonna are we gonna keep going with me or are we gonna like cool it there and go are we gonna do episode two or are we gonna do you?
1: Yeah, I think episode two yeah well, you'll you'll start I mean my story's shorter.
0: <laughs> well, I should hope so. <laughs> You're half my and age, and then we'll
1: come. We'll come back. I mean, there's no okay. rush. There's no. I there's... think it's. I find it all interesting, so I, I, I. am happy to to take, the time to talk about all this.
0: I should say that that Kate, has, for years, she's been saying to me, "Oh, I should write a book." You know, you've always said I should write a book.
1: You, that you yeah. should write a book.
0: And I've always said, nah, yeah, I have no well, stories. Well, and I'm not the I'm only one. A lot of people have said Yeah, that. I know, but I still don't think I have stories or anything to tell. But this conversation kind of proves the opposite of that, that there are stories to tell.
1: I think, well, actually, let's start with this on our next episode, with this idea that I... I think you have plenty of material. I don't think you like to write. No. And I think we should talk about oh, writing. <laughs> because yeah. we're going to talk about me, and we're going to talk about um, what I've been doing, which is writing. And I'm interested in, in our family in general's relationship to writing because uh, you and mom and, and mom's mom... Have are have been and were all people who at one point spent a lot of time writing, mm-hmm. and I think the demands of—I mean, this is why I've tricked you into this because you don't—you <laughs> find talking very easy, yeah—and you always have, and so do I. And 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 I think the idea of sitting down and talking about your stories and talking about history and personal history is much less intimidating than. The, the formal practice of putting something down on the page. And, and, and yeah, so let's talk about, right, what happened to you is what happens to a lot of people is you get into school and you start thinking about literature critically and looking at your own writing and getting very frustrated with the fact that and not having the patience to say, I'm going to sit around for 10 years while I learn how to do that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I never had the patience for that. So
1: let's start, we'll start our next episode there.
0: Okay. Because Kate we'll <laughs> is uh, is uh, about to become, as we record this in the middle of the summer, mm-hmm. uh, she's about to become a published author with a, a young adult novel called Fans of the Impossible Life that's being published in September by uh, by a big real publisher. They are real. By um, um it's
1: the the imprint is called Balzer and Bray and they're an imprint at HarperCollins. Harper
0: HarperCollins, which is one mm-hmm. of the top publishing companies in the in the country and the book is coming out in England and and Spain and France and Germany and all kinds of places all around the world as well. Yep. So Kate is kind of poised on the brink of what should be uh uh, a very um, exciting uh, move into the publishing world. After having spent the last ten years working with one of the premier um, avant-garde theater companies in New York, the Elevated Repair this Service. This is good. I'm
1: gonna make you do my PR. This is good. Yeah. I like all so, these adjectives.
0: Uh, so she um, uh, she spent t- ten years. Touring the world, literally, with Elevated Repair Service, uh, first as, a, as a, in the production end of it, and then as an actor in the company, she was involved in Gats, which was their famous production, the seven-and-a-half-hour, eight-hour, 12-hour, 15-hour long. It was it, it 50 changes. hours yeah. long. Uh, every single word of the great Gatsby. Yeah. It was seven hours, eight hours long, but it's she toured it for years all around the world, and it became such a traumatic experience. <laughs> and we're gonna <laughs> and we're gonna talk about that probably in our yeah our next. Let's leave episode. it here.
1: That'll be a little teaser.
0: Okay, of uh, of uh, the Kate and Vin Skelson podcast.
1: That's right. So
0: thank you for listening. Thank
1: you for listening, and mm-hmm. there's more to come. Yeah,
0: I'll, I'll play. Yes, them, play I'll us play out, please. With our theme music.
1: Oh god, it's so horrible. <laughs> oh, no, this is the worst theme music ever. Uh,
0: we'll we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll get, get John.
1: Yeah, we'll get our our friend John is we're gonna recruit him to make us a, a okay. theme song.
0: Alright. Bye.